Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Flom, host of Wrongful Conviction, and so far we've brought you hundreds of stories of people stolen from their lives and families for crimes they did not commit. The sheer number of cases we've covered speaks to the scale of the problem, but we've yet to even scratch the surface. To amplify this message even louder, I've invited new voices to host the show to create interviews of the system affected by the system affected. This is one of those interviews. On January 10, 1998, a 60-year-old woman in the small town of Violet, Louisiana heard a knock at the door. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. That night she had been babysitting her 3.5-year-old grandson and she opened the door thinking it was her son to pick up the child. Instead, two men forced their way into her home and demanded to be taken to her safe. When she insisted she didn't have one, they raped her and stole her stereo equipment and a television. The next door neighbor saw the two men walking out of the house with the stolen goods. Then they saw them get into a car with a woman at the wheel. One of those neighbors was 24-year-old Louis Caesar, and he recognized one of the men as Ulysses Pierre, who also went by the name of Little Noon. Louis' mother, Yolanda, called 911 to report the crime. Later that day, police arrested Ulysses and brought him in for questioning. At first he claimed he acted alone, police physically abused him until he admitted that two others were involved. Ulysses said that Sidney Williams and his younger cousin Jarvis Ballard were with him. He also told the police where they hid the stolen items. Jarvis was arrested later that same day. During the interrogation, he denied taking any part in the crime. But after the police threatened and beat him, Jarvis eventually signed a false confession statement. Three men were arrested, even though the victim and the witnesses said only two had been involved. On July 21, 1999, Ulysses Pierre, Sidney Williams, and Jarvis Ballard were sentenced to life in prison. This is Wrongful Conviction. My name is Patrick Persley. 
also known as Free Patrick Persley. I was previously a guest on this show to tell the story of my own wrongful conviction. Today, though, I'm stepping into the host role. This April, I had the honor to sit down with Jarvis Ballard and his lawyer, G. Park, at the Incense Network Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. When we spoke, Jarvis had only been out of prison for eight months. It was an emotional conversation for the both of us. I want to say how grateful I am to Jarvis for trusting me to tell his story. This case here really, um, it tore me apart because it's very steeped in the South, in the culture and the practice of treatment of black men in the South. A very heavy accusation of what you went through, what you were accused of, right? All these things, um, it's very, to me, it resonated with the historical harms of Deep South attitude towards um, black life. It's very good for you to be here. I'm very thankful to meet you. I'm sorry for what you went through. Everyone welcome Jarvis Ballard and his attorney, G. Park. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. It's nice to meet you, man. So tell us a little bit about your past, what it's like growing up in Louisiana, what you went through and what you experienced. Well, I grew up with a single mother of two. My father got killed May 19, 1982. He was murdered, shot 19 times, 10 in the head. So, that occurred, how were you when that occurred? I was actually about three, but I, I always knew that my dad hung with the wrong crowd. And I learned that a lot older as I grew up because he was a known drug dealer. And he was known for, in New Orleans for having the name of killing people. And I always did never want to be like that because I always played sports. But I found myself having his aggression towards other people. Like, you know, it don't take much to make me mad. If I think you're a bully, you're not going to bully nobody around me. So. You know, I always was challenging all the bullets, so I took on a name as Lil Willie Roy, which is my daddy's name. They called him Town Taker because a lot of people were scared to mess with him. But I didn't want that because I know eventually, sooner or later, somebody would harm me and take my life like they took his. I started selling drugs and smoking weed about probably when I was 13 years 13. old. That's calm. And, you know, I'm in high school, I'm playing baseball. Well, actually, I was playing baseball and football. And my sports kind of would help me get along with have just a little bit more than the next person, you know, and I would get away with a lot. I might get expelled from school, they'll send a teacher to the house. Right, because you're a good, good sports player. Just come to practice, right. For you. But I didn't care about school, because, like, my, 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 my ninth, going in my 10th grade year, it was over with. I was just having run-ins. That landed me in juvie hall for two years. But I just had a, I just had a knack for getting it. I just like this bad, peep bad boys. You know, you know what it is. You think you're bad, I want to I wanna, I wanna be the one to dethrone whatever you think you got going on. His previous interactions with the criminal justice system put him on the police radar. And that's how Jarvis got swept up into what's about to happen next. So on January 10th, 1998, um, a woman, she was a 60-year-old white woman, um, in the middle of the night, uh, there's a knock on her door. She goes to the door. There are two men who burst into her home. They rape her viciously, and then they steal things from her. And in her home was her grandson, whom she was taking care of that night. And so 
right after this horrific incident happens to her, she calls the police, she calls 911, and she says, two black men came into my home, stole my belongings, and raped me. And they were in there at her home for quite some time. And not only that, they covered her eyes, her visibility was hindered for most of this time. And as this robbery rape is happening, as they're carrying things from this woman's home to a car, right, where in which there was a driver in the car, and that driver is a woman. So it's three people total, right? Two men who go in the house, and then there's a driver who's a woman in the car in the getaway vehicle. And the neighbors are seeing something happening, right, uh, to their neighbor's home. This is the mother and the son. Louise Caesar and Yolanda Caesar, right? This is mother and son who live next door to this woman, right? And they say, when they talk to the police that night or shortly thereafter, they say two men, they see two men, right? And they see a third person in the car. And this is what they know um, immediately after the crime. Now, the way Jarvis gets involved is that Lewis recognizes one of the people as Pierre. Yes. He says, oh, that's Jarvis's cousin. Pierre's our, all of us is first cousins. Yeah, okay. Ulysses Pierre. So he recognizes Ulysses Pierre, and that's who... So Lewis is the one who tells the police, I think one of the men I recognize as Ulysses no. Pierre. Mm-hmm. And the next morning at 10 a.m., police go to Pierre's home. Right? Pierre's the last name, right? Ulysses is his first name. Right. They go to Pierre's home, and they begin to interrogate him, right? And... Pierre gives a really unfortunate statement. He involves Jarvis. On the night of the crime, Jarvis was out at a club in New Orleans. Well, of course, I was out partying with my friends. You know, we was having a few drinks, getting high. I come home. I'm so intoxicated. I, my friend had to put me in my coat, which is Louis Caesar. Later on, I would learn that he, the crime would be happening right next door to his house. Louis Caesar gave Jarvis a ride home from the party. Jarvis slept at his grandmother's house, where he often spent the night. I get up the next morning. I see all these. I'm thinking it's a roundup, and the roundup is when they come pick you up for when you sold to an undercover narcotic. So I'm like, man. So I go back inside, make a phone call. I say, man, they rounding people up for drugs or something. He said, no. He said, look, Lanoon, which is my cousin, they just arrested him for a rape. Later that morning, Jarvis went down the street to hang out with a friend. He noticed on the way that the police were out in front of his cousin Tracy's house. So he asked a friend what was going on. So he like, man, something happened last night with Lanoon, which is Eulis. I already know what he's talking about because I done heard it. He said, he said he, they put the stuff in her tool shed. So this what draws me to go walk down there because I want to know what's going on with her. This is my family. But as I'm walking, they didn't already took the stuff out of the shade. They asking about me. Do you know where Jarvis Ballard is? And she's pointing, telling him that it's him coming right there. So as I'm coming, they say, you Jarvis Ballard? I say, yeah, they say, get on the ground, which I complied. When I got there, Detective Calvin bought, arrested me. He bought me there, and I was interviewed by Scott Davis. That's who actually met me at the door. He said, you want to rape old white women? And I'm like, I ain't rape nobody. And he sprayed pepper spray on me. Now I'm looking at my cousin. Now my cousin is fairly light-skinned, so I see where he can, like he's been attacked. And he's like, man, just tell him what happened. I'm like, I don't know what happened. What are you talking about? Now this next part, I have to warn the listener. It's very difficult to talk about and very difficult to hear. But during the interrogation, Jarvis was subject to a high level of brutality. He was sprayed with pepper spray and kicked repeatedly in the groin. 
the injuries he got from the police required him to have emergency surgery. And they stunt, they, you know, they kicked me. He pretty much, it was very clear. I knew who did that. He did it two, three times. I have, and I just like, like G said, I don't understand why a family put people in those positions. But you know, I think the police they had no right to treat you like that, oh, right? No. I mean, they didn't have to spray. I mean, they don't have. They didn't have to, you know. People do not pepper spray really you. They didn't have to physically abuse you. While they were interrogating Jarvis, the police were also interrogating his cousin Ulysses and sister Quandrika. Jarvis could actually hear his sister from the other room in the police station. Because I hear my sister in there crying, and she's like, it wasn't, my, you know, it was me, Lanoon, and Now, you were feeling protective or vulnerable with her there as well? I didn't want to see her get in no trouble, because I was like, man, she ain't got herself into it. Finally, after all that physical abuse and the instinct to protect his sister, Jarvis's will was completely overborne, and he relented, and he signed a false confession. Then that man told my mama that she can have her daughter. I got your son. So now I had to play save my sister. And y'all beating me. I'm the strong man, but I had to make a decision. And once I signed that statement, then their case was kind of sealed for them. And the only thing I can hope is that God one day will have me in this position right here. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. 
In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, basically, at trial, what was presented? What did the jury hear? What's... You know, how was that broke down to the jury? Because obviously they weren't apprised of all the facts. Right. So the state presented, I mean, the state relied on three pieces of evidence. One was the positive identification of Jarvis by the complainant, by the victim in the case. Which is all it right? takes. Right. I mean, all it takes. for a 60-year-old white woman to say in the courtroom, pointing to Jarvis and saying, that is the man who raped me, that's pretty powerful evidence. Um... The second piece of evidence was co-defendant Ulysses Pierce's statement, right, implicating Jarvis, and then Jarvis's own confession that they took from him. So those were the three pieces of now evidence. that's a steep, steep, steep mountain to overcome. It is. Because the physical evidence only linked to Ulysses Pierce and Sidney Williams, the two guys who actually committed the crime, right. which makes sense. Right. And there was nothing, no physical evidence, no DNA, nothing, nothing that connected Jarvis to the scene. Yeah. And so after the police was called, after the victim gave her statement, she was taken to the hospital, right? And a sexual assault kit was performed on her. They collected evidence, physical evidence, right? And they conducted DNA testing. On that two physical, uh, on the physical evidence that was collected from the scene and from her body, and they were able to identify two male profiles, and neither one of those belonged to Jarvis. Those two male profiles they developed uh, belonged to Ulysses Pierre and also to Sidney Williams, the two men who actually committed this crime. The jury did not hear all the relevant evidence that they should have heard to decide what what actually happened in this case. I mean, they take care about judicial efficiency more than accuracy and justice and fairness. Louisiana, you know, has the highest incarceration per capita in the entire world, right? Amazing. Um, And not only that, we have the highest exoneration rate per capita in the country, (laughs) right? And so when you put those numbers together, you wonder what is really going on here in, in the South. The fact of the matter is, you know, Jarvis was represented by a public defender system that is still falling apart in Louisiana, right? You need effective attorneys to investigate your cases. His attorneys didn't have an investigator, right? His attorney didn't know the discovery practices in the jurisdiction that he was practicing in. You get the file. Yeah. So attorneys, you would think that would be the, you want a complete file. Right. Right, right, right. I mean, right. I, no, I'm just it's your the, obligation. It's yeah. your duty. It's your job. And then on the yeah. flip side, you have the prosecutor. Who also has a duty to turn over. <laughs> turn over everything. The evidence. evidence. Absolutely. I feel like once they seen who it was. It was over with. It didn't even matter no more about how I get this conviction. I just want it. You know, you have an elderly white woman, 50, was nine at the time, 60 years old. She's raped. You know, I understood that 
with what I was up against because I understood growing up down there how it was. So I knew that it was dominated by white people. I learned this. I, first of all, I have to learn that whatever happened, I got to know that it was wrong. What happened to the woman, I looked at the root of the problem. Well, she got raped. Ain't nothing right about that. Now, I understand that the police had to make her make me a victim. That's when the racism come in. Look, we got this black kid back here. He's saying that he did this to you and did this here. And we want to show you a picture. You remember seeing him in your house? Now you're pointing straight at the picture. So I knew how it... Now this is when they almost like suggested to her that there was three, not oh, two they people. They did, they did out the gate. Actually, they brought this woman in front of me during a trial session and asked her, he told me, see, if this woman said you went in the house, I'm gonna let you go right now. He said, this guy right here saying that you wasn't in his house. The woman started crying. She said, yes, she was, you raped me. I'm like, ma'am, I don't even know you. On July 21st, 1999, after less than four hours of deliberation, the jury convicts Jarvis Ballard and Ulysses Pierre of aggravated rape. The next day, Sidney Williams was convicted of the same. All three were sentenced to life in prison without parole. Jarvis's case is particularly heartbreaking because it happened within a family, right? It's about family as they turned kind of against one another and that got one of their brother, cousin, right, in prison for 23 years. And so I think this case is incredibly heartbreaking. It's more than a betrayal. You know, I forgive him, but I would never have be able to have dinners with him. Right. Because you didn't deep. have no reason to do that to That's that deep. woman or yeah. to me. Or to you. Right. You, you, you made two victims that laid in me. Right. Then you took something from me that you didn't have to do. So I don't, I don't talk what about it. What was the total amount of years? 23 years, 20, six months. 23, six. Seven days. That's, and you knew him all your life. This is my, we yeah, took yeah. baths together. You knew him all your life. He he was my, he was my big cousin, but I was, you know, he, he's like my little brother, because I always was much bigger than all, him. But you, you know, you hurt me, and I don't hate, but I just rather not deal with him. During his 23 years inside, Jarvis made a few good friends. One was Jerome Morgan, now a fellow exoneree. You know, and you meet people along the way, not knowing that y'all share the same similar story, just different. It may it's just different cases, but the same situation. And I met Jerome, and we become good friends. And he actually like a mentor to me. I looked to him, you know. I watched him countless nights, up two, three days, working on his case. And I'm telling, we slept in the same place, sports together. And. You know, he was preparing himself for this day, but I wasn't. I only had hope, you know. And it was people like him that encouraged me to start right the Innocent Project. He's saying, all right, if you say you're innocent, write the Innocent Project. So, you know, it was people like him. And not knowing that, uh, you know, years later, the same person that helped him get out of pr prison would help actually take my case. Jarvis wrote to the Innocence Project in New Orleans, IPNO for short and they eventually took his case and helped him fight for his exoneration. In terms of investigating this case, we began to collect all the documents, right, related to this case, the DA's file, the police records, the court files, anything and everything we could get our hands on. And it's challenging to get access to old records, right? Sometimes they're lost, sometimes mm -hmm. they're misplaced, sometimes they give you copies that's heavily redacted. 
Sometimes they give you copies with missing pages, right? And so I have to say, it took us more time than it should have <laughs> for us to gather. <laughs> now, just for the audience, the time that it takes to investigate. Oh, things. my goodness. I mean, there has been some sort of investigation happening since 2008 to 2017, right? I mean, we're talking uh, nine years, right? Um, and so what we learned, so... During trial, we already talked about the witness, Louis Caesar, right? The, the neighbor who initially stated that he saw two men leaving the house and there's a woman in the car, right? That was his initial statement to the police. What he testified to at trial was not that, though. What he testified to at trial was that he saw three men, three men. That was his testimony at trial. So his testimony completely changed. Jury doesn't hear and that course, his prior... Of course, the lawyer prior, doesn't cross-examine for nada. Because he, the lawyer doesn't really know either, right? The because lawyer doesn't He doesn't know. get the file. He doesn't get the file and or he doesn't conduct the investigation. He never went and interviewed Louis Caesar before trial. He is an eyewitness in this case. And the attorney representing Jarvis never thought it was important enough to go talk to an eyewitness in the case. This so the lawyer doesn't know about this, right? The DNA can always probably be like the center of it because we know all we need to do is get all the other pieces of evidence where I can say, all right, we know Jarvis was innocent. And actually, I didn't know this until Ipno found that out recently that they didn't test my rape kit. But they tested partial parts of it. So it's certain parts that they didn't test. But basically, when they ran the test back, everything still came back. He's honoring me. Ultimately, it was a combination of things that got Jarvis out of prison. Ipno obtained affidavits from witnesses to the crime and to Jarvis's alibi. And retesting the rape kit showed that none of Jarvis' DNA was present. After a round of appeals, the district attorney released Jarvis Ballard from prison and affirmed his innocence. But before they told Jarvis he was getting out, one of his lawyers, Sherelle Arnold, had a bit of fun with him. Sherelle was supposed to send me a business book. She never signed it. So I said, why you didn't send my book? She said, I'm going to have to find another way to make that up to you. Because she liked the joke, too. I said, yeah, well, you you know, you say you're going to send it. She said, well, how can I make it up to you? I said, you can get me out of here. She said, no, we're going to do that tomorrow. I said, what? She said, they threw all your charges out. You're coming home tomorrow. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. 
and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If we had a world where it was one-sided and you just let crime go, probably wouldn't be here you and a lot of us but they need that's the only way this world operates you need to have that but sometimes people get arrested bad like you and I in the process of that you know I'm still young I'm still active I like to work out I have I have fun I play with the kids I'm like a big old child when I go to the fair guess where I'm at on the on the rise with the kids the 250 pound limit well I might can't get on this one let me go somewhere else yeah, Jarvis been home since what August? Eight right? months. Yep, August. Guess where I work 2021. at? Two thousand twenty-one. Guess where I work at? I work in the federal Fifth Circuit courthouse, remodeling. That's called irony. Listen, God, that's, that's how God works. That's, that's God is irony. good. That is called God irony. is good. Put me in this place. I'm be re, re, they remodeling it. So I'm working with the construction people ready though, and I'm getting on the elevator with guess what? Judges that didn't probably see my case. But when I told one of those guys my story, and he Googled it, he like, man, congratulations. You know, and I let him know that I, I respect everything they stand for. I really do. You know, I respect everything that GM stand for. By chance, Jarvis ran into District Attorney Perry Nicosia, the man who dismissed the case and allowed him to walk free after 23 years behind bars, and they had the opportunity to talk. You know, I met Perry. And he was like, man, I'm very, very, very sorry. I'm like, Perry, man, you did the right thing, and I appreciate that. That's the D. I say, you did the right thing. I say, man, I really appreciate that. Jerome Morgan, the one who encouraged Jarvis to reach out to Ipno in the first place, he was also there to help him cope with his transition to free world living. But when you come in prison, man, it's it's a different type of atmosphere. And when you meet good people like this guy, you know, you want to hold on to them. You know, because it's very, especially coming out of that place. Because the same way he smiled, and I've been smiling the whole time, I got emotional and serious. 
But the whole time, I always had a, a jittery, happy attitude. We don't let what happened to us, you know, destroy us or have us to the point where we got a lot of hate and bitterness in us. We, we don't do that. We just strive for better. And he teach me that every day. And that's the journey I'm on right now. I really want to focus on, you know, trying to, you know, get in position to where when Ipno call us, we can be there for those dudes. You know, it ain't much about being financially, just being there. And he do that basically with everybody. And that's the type of relationship that we trying to create for people that's coming home through this program. Jerome was a previous guest on this podcast, and now he's back to talk about how he and Jarvis are teaming up to help other exonerees coming home in New Orleans. Thank you for having me. Uh, I never thought that I would be back along these lines, but I appreciate how this has come, come about because we went through some of the similar things. By being wrongfully convicted and being in, in prison where it don't matter if you're guilty or not, you still get the same treatment. You can't acclimate yourself to society, how they operating, you know, now and as they were when you was in prison, you know, so you have to, I guess, self-create a way to, to, to live in that space because there's no roadmap for you. And the closest roadmap for somebody is coming home to the arms of people who have been through that situation. That's what we want to provide now. And I'm glad that, you know, Jarvis has, you know, been encouraged and inspired to do that throughout his time, even in prison, you know. It shows that he honestly wants to be a positive person despite the negative things that has happened to him. And to me, you know, that's some of the greatest people in the world. So we'll have the link in the bio for Ipno, as well as your GoFundMe. And I really, really want to thank you for trusting me to tell your story. I really do. Like, I've never met you before, so this is amazing for me. It's a process for me. And just know that you can call me personally anytime, okay? Because you're my you, brother, man. you're my exoneree, brothers in exoneration. We're at the part of the show now where um, it's called Closing Arguments, where we, I turn off my mic and just kind of let you guys speak your piece and say what's on your mind to the audience. And thank you so much. You know, IPNO has freed or exonerated 40 individuals who have served over 975 years in prison for crimes they did not commit. And that is just a drop in the bucket. You know, there's over 5,000 men and women in Louisiana prisons doing a life sentence without the possibility of parole. These men and women are not coming home, just like, you know, Jerome and Jarvis before IPNO got involved. And so... Um, there's a lot to be done still, and um, I'm really, um, I feel really privileged for this opportunity to speak with Jerome, to speak with Jarvis, to speak with Patrick, and for um, having this moment with them. So thank you. Like she said, I just appreciate everything, you know, even the people that donate, you know, is appreciated, you know, because like I said earlier, got a lot of people that's not going to be in this shoot. A lot of innocent people are going to not make it because, you know, if no one have the resources to do so many cases. And hopefully before this is, you know, before I close my eyes, it'll probably be bigger than where this is now because I think everybody deserves a chance like me and Jerome. But unfortunately, we know it don't work like that. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. 
I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wardis. The senior producer for this episode is Jackie Polly, and our producers are Lila Robinson, Connor Hall, and Jeff Clyburn. Our editor is Roxander Guidi, and special thanks to Jillian Forstad for help on this episode. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Free Patrick Persley, at I Am Kid Culture 2, and online at IamKidCulture.org. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. On next week's guest-hosted episode of Wrongful Conviction, Chris Fabricant will be talking to Gilbert Poole about the, the nonsensical bite mark evidence that landed Gilbert in prison for 32 years for a crime he had absolutely nothing to do with. Now, Chris is a personal hero of mine, and we have a deep connection because Chris is the man who kicked off and occupies the Joe Flom chair at the Innocence Project, named after my dad. And his position as strategic litigation director is so critical to our work and our mission at the Innocence Project. And of course, what it means is that Chris not only helps to exonerate innocent people by shining a light on many of the junk sciences that are routinely accepted as real science in courtrooms across our country, but he then uses those examples of these grotesque injustices to affect policy and change and, and, and to change practices. Listen next Monday in the Wrongful Conviction podcast feed. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.